So the topic we'll be looking at tonight is 2 Kings, uh, chapters 11 through 17, with the title, Kingdoms in Decline. I thought I'd first start with uh, looking at uh, the setting and kind of recalibrating. <clears throat> and first of all, looking at the book of First and 2 Kings, really, uh, these two books together uh, start out with the, with with uh, talking about the greatness of uh, United Kingdom, and then we have disruption with the kingdom dividing, and from there a steady decline and leaving to uh, dispersion or, or deportation of both kingdoms. So it starts in the first few chapters with King Solomon. And, and those are the glory days when the, the, king is, the kingdom is united and it's at peace and its borders are expanded and its, its fame is, is extensive. You remember the Queen of Sheba that comes up from Africa to, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, its temple is built and, and God is dwelling among his people and, and it seems all is, all is right with, with the world or with, at least with the kingdom. <clears throat> then comes a, a, a disruption. Solomon turns away from the Lord, and uh, as a result, God rips ten of the tribes away from him, not during his lifetime, but during the, the lifetime of Rehoboam, his son. And, and that begins this downward trend for both uh, kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and uh, its decline and finally ending in captivity by the Assyrians in around 722 B.C. And then Judah, its decline declines as well. It lasts a little longer, but goes into captivity around 586 uh, B.C. Both of them are ending in uh, dispersion. So, so after the Judah falls, uh, well, I should mention that, that uh, when, when Israel falls... Uh, they go into captivity, never to return as a distinct uh, kingdom. Judah falls in 586 B.C. It goes into captivity for 70 years, returns, but it returns as a vassal state. And it never, uh, there's a 70-year period that they gain some independence during the Maccabean rule, but then basically they're, they're under the governance of, of other nations, and then in A.D. 70, they're decimated. So very, a very sad, uh, sad history. Um, the book of Kings, <clears throat> the, the focus is on the kings. It's not so much on the people in general um, or, or local kings or, or the priesthood and, and their condition. It's really very focused on the kings themselves. Thus the name of the book, of the books, is the kings. And really that's what it, it is about. And, and it's really how they measured up to the law of God. Were they faithful? And uh, now, if we want to look at the condition of the people, we go to the prophets. So Isaiah and Hosea and Amos, and they talk about the condition of the people, the greed, the materialism, the idolatry, the pride. But that's not so much the topic of the book of the kings. It's really about the kings themselves and their either successes or, uh, or their failures. <clears throat> then we have um, 
I put here the, the book of the Second Chronicles has the same time period as, covers the same time period as First and Second Kings. But there the focus is not uh, so much the kings, but, uh, well, it's not on the kings, but it's the kings of Judah. And in fact, it doesn't talk about the kings of Israel at all. And so <clears throat> there it's a singular focus on, on the southern uh, kingdom. Now, I know this is kind of a, a bit of a, uh, an eye chart here, but you can see here that, uh, I'll get a pointer here. Does that work? Or I have to point it up there. <laughs> well, forget about that. So you have the, the kind of the, I don't know, the pinkish uh, color has, is the northern tribes, uh, the kings of Israel. And then the blue is the kings of Judah. And then you have in the gray, the prophets. I showed this last year. Um, and then the empires uh, at the time below. But what I wanted to show you is where, what time period First Kings and Second Kings uh, covers. So we have First Kings, and then uh, we have the Second Kings uh, covering a longer period from the time of Jehu all the way until the kings, uh, the king of or the kingdom of Judah goes into captivity. Now tonight we're going to talk about. Um, the kings of Judah, five kings of Judah, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz. Uh, And then we're going to talk about the um, kings of, nine kings of Israel. And I won't name them there, but you can see um, them named there, and we'll we'll discuss each one. Now, the kings of Israel as a united kingdom, lasts about um, 120 years. And the, uh, sorry, I said that wrong. First Kings covers about 100, 120 years. Second Kings covers about 260 years. So just to kind of give you a little bit of a, an overview there. <clears throat> now, a little bit on comparing the two kings kingdoms. So the duration of Israel is about 209 years. The duration of Judah is close to 350 years. The number of kings for Israel is 19, about the same number for Judah, except for 20 if you include Athaliah. Um, now, obviously, what we can see the difference here is the average length of the, of the reign of each king of Judah is much longer than the average length of each king of uh, Israel. The number of dynasties in Israel is nine versus one. We have one dynasty, the, the, king, the, uh, the dynasty of David, the royal line in, in Judah. But we have a lot of a very unstable uh, condition in, in Israel. Um, seven of the kings are assassinated in Israel. Only three are assassinated in Judah. The divine assessment of each of the kings, they're all bad in Israel, and there's a mixed bag in Judah. Five are good, three kind of a mixed reviews, and 12 evil. And then uh, Assyria is the one, the the, the empire that takes uh, Israel into captivity, and Babylon is the uh, empire that takes Judah into captivity. Now, the... uh, what, what we notice here when we look at this 
is, is instability when it comes to um, Israel, far greater instability. And that can be attributed to, to do two different things. One is the, the persistence of evil with the kings of Israel. They, they followed the sins of Jeroboam, who introduced calf worship, and each one of them, it says about that they, they followed the sins of Jeroboam, and so they persisted in idolatry. But secondly, they weren't under the covenant of, of David. Remember, God made an everlasting covenant with the house of David. He said, and you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God had made a covenant with David, and we can see then the stability then of that royal line uh, of David. There's no equivalent covenant with Israel. Uh, we also see the, the grace of God extended uh, to, to David and, and, his, and, and his kingdom. So David was a man after God's own heart. And because of David's faithfulness, we see the life of the nation of Judah extended. And there were these other five good kings and others that weren't so bad. And they were a great preservative to, to Judah and extended the, the life of Judah. Um, and I, I think there's a, maybe a, a lesson for us in that. This assembly here has enjoyed stability and, and unity for, for many years. I can't remember exactly where we, we're coming up on 90, 90 years. And, and God has really blessed the assembly, and, and, and we've enjoyed unity and, and stability. There hasn't been great upheavals and division. That's credited to former leaders that, that because of their faithfulness, God has blessed the assembly uh, in a remarkable way. So we can't take credit for, uh, for what we enjoy today. A large part of it is owed to, to God's grace and, and the faithfulness of, of leaders in the past that has been a blessing now that we, we uh, are able to enjoy. Now, um, the, 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 the book of the, of the first and second kings really highlights the failure of human fallen kings, men who are, are themselves have their own personal failures. And, and it shows the, the, the failure of these human kings, and it really cries out for the messianic king, a king who would be both man but God. And it really calls out for, for Christ and his kingdom, a king who will reign in righteousness and not have the failure. So as we read through, and it's, it is depressing, but think of how it's preparing us to look forward beyond man and look for a divine king. Now let's get into the kings of Judah, and we're going to first start with Joash. And... Um, I put a little summary at the, t uh, at the top there. So he begins his reign at a very young age of seven. The length of his reign is 29 years. And the assessment that God gives of him is he does right during Jehoiada's life. Okay, we're going to come back to that. His, success, his successes as he repairs the temple. His failure is idolatry, murder, 
and he, he trades what is sacred, uh, treasures in the temple, in order to, uh, to um, get rid of a threat, an imminent threat. And he ends in assassination. Now, we're going to begin by looking at his treacherous childhood. And to understand that, we, there's a backstory to that. And that backstory goes all the way back to uh, Jehoshaphat. And alliances that Jehoshaphat made with the house of, of Ahab. Now, you've seen this a few times. If I can zoom up here. Um, Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah. And his son Joram, or Jehoram, married Athaliah. Athaliah was the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. Jezebel was a princess uh, of uh, Sidon. And so she brought, but Jezebel brought um, the worship of, of Baal with her. And Athaliah brought the worship of Baal into Judah. And so Josiah, or sorry, Jehoshaphat, I don't know where Josiah came from. Jehoshaphat made these alliances with Israel, a marriage alliance that we just discussed, a commercial alliance, they went into business together, and a military alliance, they went to war together. Uh, now, I imagine um, that there were, there were good intentions. I can just think of, of uh, Jehoshaphat's thought process. He's thinking we're, we're all the children of God, right? God hasn't abandoned uh, the, the tribes to the north, Israel. They're still under the David, not the Davidic covenant. They're still under the Abrahamic covenant. They're still God's people. And, and why are we fighting with one another? And, and there was tremendous fighting between uh, the two, two kingdoms uh, from the time of, of really Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the way up until the time of Jehoshaphat. And, and Jehoshaphat's thinking, why, why are we fighting among ourselves? We're all God's people. And, and maybe this would be a way to bring Israel back from their idolatry and to the worship of, of the one true God. So I'm thinking this is probably Jehoshaphat's uh, thinking, that he can be a positive influence uh, upon them, and, and we're all, all God's, God's children. <clears throat> but the effects of that alliance... Are devastating. So we have here when Joram, that's Jehoshaphat's son, had ascended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all his brothers with a sword and also some of the princes of Judah. And Jehoram uh, walked in the ways, the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he that is the grandson now also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. And then finally, now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. So Jehoshaphat's Lack of separation generations before results in almost the complete destruction of his family. So rather than exporting truth to Israel and having a positive influence on Israel, idolatry and error was imported 
back into Judah, and it, it basically destroyed his family. So what lessons can we learn from that? So the, the New Testament teaches separation from what does not align with truth. In Hebrews, the believers are urged to, to uh, separate from what is uh, obsol- an obsolete form of worship, separate from Judaism. In Corinthians, the believers are urged to separate from idolatrous, uh, the idolatrous religious world around them. So we don't, we don't propagate truth by alliances, but by preaching the word and living it out in our lives is the way to have the greatest influence on others. Now at this time, the royal line is, is hanging by a thread. Uh, Athaliah is, is bent on destroying the royal family, and she's even murdering her own grandchildren. Uh, likely her motivation is, is just self-preservation. Um, but Jehoiada, um, or, or sorry, jo- Joash, which is, is the, uh, her actual grandson, uh, in, in, the, in the royal line, jo- Joash is spared by, by Jehoiada and his wife. Now, uh, his wife is, is Jehoshaphat, and she's actually the aunt of Joash. So, so Joash's aunt and uncle uh, spare her the life. They, they hide. In fact, I was going to read that. I, I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to read um, first, or sorry, Second Kings chapter eleven, and the first few verses. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 11. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from the, among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death, and he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. So this young boy who's in the royal line is spared by his uncle Jehoiada and his aunt. And so we see that that God is faithful to spare and preserve uh, the royal line and, and fulfill his promises. Now we see this, that this was definitely a satanic attack. We'll see this again in, um, at the time of the Lord Jesus when Herod tries to wipe out the royal line as well and tries to kill all the, the babies in two years old and under in Bethlehem. And again, Satan is behind this trying to stamp out and wipe out uh, the royal line so that God would not be able to fulfill his his promises. So again, I, I think I can see we can get a lesson from this. <clears throat> At times, testimony might look very weak, like it's about to fail uh, and fizzle out, and God is able to preserve his people and preserve those who are, are faithful to him. And interestingly, that this royal line was spared by the bravery and the courage 
of, of a woman. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, his coronation. So, <clears throat> Jehoiada, his uncle, when jo uh, Joash is about seven years old, he organizes a coup and, uh, and, and, and puts, places Joash on the throne. And of course, uh, Athaliah calls this treason, treason, and she's put to death. And, uh, and now jo Joash is, is the king of Judah, and this usurper, um, Athaliah, is, is put out of the way. Now, Jehoiada, remember, she had introduced Baal worship into Judah. So Jehoiada makes a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. And uh, immediately they, uh, well, I'll just read it here. It says, Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, um, and the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And so uh, once Athaliah is gone, Baal worship is purged, and there's peace in the land. So the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with a sword at the king's house. And um, Joash then begins his rule under the guidance and leadership of Jehoiada the priest. Now, temple repairs. After a few years, Joash uh, initiates some repairs on, on the temple. They had fallen, the temple had fallen into disrepair under his grandfather and, and his father and, and this wicked woman, Athaliah. They had no use for the temple. And he gives the responsibility to the priests that they do these repairs and they're to do it out of the funding that comes into the, the temple, the general funding. Well, after a few years, nothing's really happening and Jeho Joash comes to Jehoiada, his uncle, and says, hey, there's nothing, nothing's going on. Why aren't you repairing the temple like I requested? Well, they change things up. They uh, create what I would call the, the first direct deposit, okay? So they get this box, drill a hole in it, and, so, and any uh, contributions into that box is going to go directly to the repairs of the temple. Then he says, okay, it's not going to be the, the responsibility of the priest. We'll, we'll get someone to manage and project manage this, this uh, um, project and the repair of the temple. And so they, once the money, there's enough money, they give it to the, the people that are managing the project who distributed it to the workers, and everything went well, and the temple was repaired. So there's a little lesson in this, uh, some precedence for direct deposit. And uh, I would advise anyone, uh, the way to, uh, a good way to make sure that you have always something to give to the Lord is have a direct deposit from your paycheck into an account that's dedicated uh, for the things of the Lord. So we have precedent in that way back in the Old Testament. Now, one thing I, we, we learn about uh, looking at, at the, this at this time is it's, it's a little bit of a barometer on, on, the, on the health, the spiritual health of the nation. Under Jehoiada's godly leadership, we see that there's, there's 
uh, an initiation. There's a desire to, to repair the temple. Uh, there's, there's support from the, the people themselves. There's integrity by, on the part of the, those that are managing the project. And so we see a, a generally a, very, a, a fairly healthy spiritual condition at the time under Jehoiada's uh, godly leadership. But then we have Joash turning away from the Lord. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. We read that now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for the guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. So what we see here is Joash did not have his own convictions. Soon as Jehoiada's influence was gone, and he came under the influence of the princes of Judah, he abandons the Lord. And it shows and it underscores the fact that he did not have his own convictions. <clears throat> so let me ask us all t- tonight. Do you have your own convictions based on the word of God? Or do you just ride along on, on other people's convictions? Maybe your parents, maybe your spouse, maybe your friends. You do what your friends do. But in terms of having your own convictions before God, ask yourself, Do I have convic- am I doing what I'm doing? Am I gathering where I'm gathering? Am I in this assembly? Because I see it from the word of God. These are my own convictions. And it really doesn't matter what my parents, what my friends. I'm doing it because my convictions based on the word of God. If your convictions are not based on the word of God, then when influences come along and moods change, uh, we won't won't follow uh, the word of God. Our convictions must be based on the word of God. Now, when he turns away from the Lord, he's confronted by Zechariah. Uh, let me be a little bit too much verbiage there, so I'll just summarize. Zechariah is Jehoiada's son, the priest's son. Okay, so you remember Joash was raised in the same household. He was raised by jo- uh, Jehoiada and his wife. So he would have been almost like a brother to Zechariah. Zechariah, by the Spirit of God, confronts uh, Joash. And instead of responding to that, uh, he instead, he murders. He has him put to death. And it says there that he didn't have any regard and remember the kindness of Jehoiada. Here, Jehoiada spared him when he was about to be put to death. He raised him. And, and was a mentor to him and guided him all his life. And then when Jehoiada dies, he turns away and he ends up murdering his son. And it's just maybe a, a thought of how do, how do we respond when, when we're confronted, when people that maybe are seeking our best interest confront us with the direction we're taking, with choices we're making, with sin in our lives, 
Do we get angry and hostile towards the messenger? That's exactly what Jehoiada did. Or sorry, not Jehoiada, but Joash. Now, when Joash turns away from the Lord, God, as always, sends sends, um, adversaries, uh, in this case Syria, to attack Judah. And um, the way he responds is he doesn't go to the Lord, turn back to the Lord, and trust him and look to him for deliverance. Instead, what he does is he goes to the temple, and and many of the kings did this. Um, Ahaz did it. Uh, Asa does it. And Hezekiah will do the same thing. When there's a threat, they go to the temple, and they take the treasures from the temple, and they pay off the... uh, uh, the person that's attacking, the kingdom that's attacking them in order to thwart the threat. Now, <clears throat> uh, there's a lesson I think we can learn from that. We should never give up what is sacred to try to ward off a threat. And I was thinking of how, you know, as, as an assembly, there could be threats from, especially I think we could an- anticipate this, threats from the government. Do we, are we tempted, would we be tempted to give up truth, something sacred, in order to avoid a threat from the government? Maybe it's a, a threat from within, a threat that some will leave if they don't get their way. There might be a temptation to give something up, some, something sacred, some truth, in order to ward off that threat. So will we give what is sacred, something, some precious truth, in order to compromise, in order to, to ward off something we think is going to be a threat to the assembly. And uh, finally, this last uh, verse here I wanted to uh, look at. Um, Joash, his end is tragic. He's assassinated, and it stands in contrast to Jehoiada's end. It says of Jehoiada that they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. So what a, what a tremendous uh, thing to be said about you at the, at the end of your life. Had done good in Israel toward God and his house. Now, on to another king. I've got to pick up the pace here. <clears throat> now, in fairness to myself, uh, there's two full chapters about jo- uh, Joash. So that's why I took a little bit more time on, on Joash. But... Uh, Moving on to Amaziah. Amaziah, Joash's son, begins to reign at the age of 25. His duration of his reign is 29 years. It says that he does right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with his whole heart. One of his successes is he conquers uh, Edom, but his failure is idolatry, pride, and he leaves the high places. He doesn't remove the high places. And he ends by being executed. Now, <clears throat> we read this expression about every, just about every single one of the kings except when it comes to um, Hezekiah and Josiah. And is that it's a failure to remove the high places. Um, they're, they're measured about against really those two, th- two things. One is how they measured up to David. Did, did they live like David? And did they remove the high places? So our, our standard is Christ. 
we will be measured on how we lived like how much we lived like Christ. But this other one, <clears throat> did they remove the high places? Now, the high places were established during the reign of Solomon. When he turned to foreign gods, he brought in these, 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 the practice of the nations around, and they established these high places where they would worship uh, their gods. And the problem there was two things. One is that they often worshipped uh, idols at these high places. Sometimes they worshipped God, and their worship was right, but they, worship, they worshipped at the wrong place because God had uh, said that, and in fact I have a slide here, he had directed them in Deuteronomy chapter 12 that they were to demolish, when they came into the, to the land, they were to demolish all the high places, and they weren't to worship at those high places like the nations around, and they were to seek the place that the Lord your God will choose, and there shall you go to bring your sacrifices, and there you should go to, to worship. So the, there were two problems with the high places. One, it was often turned, they worshipped idols there, but even when they did worship the Lord, it wasn't the place where the Lord had uh, said to worship. They were to worship where he had placed his name. Uh, <clears throat> so there's, I think, a lesson here as well. Once an unscriptural practice uh, is introduced, it is very, very difficult to eradicate it. So we have from the time of Solomon all the way to the time of Hezekiah, which we'll talk about next week. Scott will talk about that next week. Uh, each of the kings failed to remove the high places. So it was an unscriptural practice that was introduced. It was very, very difficult to eradicate. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Amaziah. First of all, his restraint. He executes those that murdered his father, but he doesn't execute their children. And in that way, he, he acts according to the law. He has uh, his conquest is that he conquers Edom, uh, kills 10,000 Edomites. Now, we don't get this in the, in the, in the king account of the kings, but if we go over the Second Chronicles, we find that when he was going to go to war uh, with the Edom, Edom, he hired 100,000 troops from Israel as mercenaries to help him. And a prophet comes along and, and rebukes him and says, God is not with Israel. And uh, don't ally yourself with, with Israel. And so he listens to the prophet, uh, and, and he sends them back. They're ticked off. They go and pillage uh, some of the towns of Judah on the way home. They're, they're mad. But anyway, uh, he does follow the Lord in that way. But then he goes and kink, conquers these kings and brings back their idols and begins to worship their idols. So go, go figure. He conquers the nation, but then worships their gods. Um, <clears throat> but he, he doesn't... Um, a lesson that I wanted to draw from this um, is, is God does not want us, again, joining... Here's a warning against joining uh, an alliance with, with Israel. Uh, God is saying, 
Don't look to others for your help. Don't look to the surrounding nations. Look to me and trust me uh, for, for deliverance. And so don't, the lesson is don't compromise principles. Trust in the Lord. When things look difficult, the temptation might be to, to, to look outside instead of looking to the Lord uh, for help, relying on human power rather than uh, the Lord's power. Um, then his idolatry, we already talked about that. He worships the, uh, the idols of the nation he just conquered. But then there's his pride. <clears throat> he conquers Edom, and then he thinks, well, you know what, I'm pretty, I'm pretty strong. And then he challenges Israel out of pride to, uh, to battle. And the king of Israel uh, says, you know, just because you beat one nation doesn't think you're, don't, don't think you can, can beat a, a more powerful nation. And so he doesn't listen to him and he attacks him in his pride. And the end result of that is that, um, is that he is, is uh, conquered and, and executed. Um, okay, so now on to, to Uzziah. Uzziah begins his reign at the age of 16. He reigns for 52 years, a very long reign. And uh, he does right as his father Amaziah. Um, he has tremendous military might, and, and uh, he does, has inventions. He inventions, invents machines and so on. So he's very, very successful. He has great... Uh, he's he's a very into agriculture and has tremendous um, expansion of, of fields and whatnot. So he's very wealthy and 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 very powerful. Uh, but pride enters uh, in and he and he goes into the the temple, a place that only high priests are to go, and he ends up being struck by by leprosy. Now, <clears throat> um, so as we look at Uzziah and the kingdom during his time, it looked, from an outward standpoint, it looked uh, very successful. It had all the, the uh, characteristics of a very prosperous and successful uh, kingdom. But when you think about it, he didn't focus on anything that was spiritual. He, he focused on, on wealth. He focused on expanding the borders and building up his, his defenses but he, we don't read of him doing any reforms. Uh, he doesn't try to teach the people like Jehoshaphat did. Remember, he sent teachers out throughout the land in order to uh, teach the law of God to the people. And we don't read of him repairing the temple or doing anything like that. All his, all his, his successes seem to be more of, a, of, a, of an outward thing. Kind of reminds you of, of Laodicean age. Uh, remember what the, the Lord says about Laodicea, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not re- realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And if we le- read the prophets at the time, Isaiah especially, we can see that the, the nation itself was very sick, morally and spiritually. But Uzziah is not concerned about that. He's just concerned about more material things and, and outward things. And his outward success leads to, leads to his pride. Um, he, he steps out of his God-given role 
of king and, and tries to act as a priest and enters into the temple. You remember Jeho- Jehoiada would not step out of his God-given role. He, he could have stepped out and, and, be, and taken the kingship when Joash was just a little boy of seven. He, he played the role of a king up until Joash, he was able to turn it back over to Joash. Uh, and so in, by contrast, we see Uzziah who stepped out of his God-given role and, and, and took a position that was not uh, scriptural. And he's stricken by uh, leprosy. Um, <clears throat> there's another thing that... Oops, I went too far. Uh, there's another thing that I, we notice when it comes to the kings of, of Judah, and, is, and that is that they are marked by, seem to be marked by pride. We have Amaziah, in his pride, tried to conquer Israel. We have Uzziah, in his pride... And he uh, goes into the temple, a place that was not warranted as, as a king. Only, only priests could enter the temple. And we also have, uh, well, later we'll see tomorrow or next week, uh, Hezekiah is filled with pride. And I, I wonder what it was. What, what is it that about Judah uh, that they seem to be filled or characterized at times with pride. I wonder if it was the fact that they, they were the privileged royal line, that, that God had made a covenant with, with, with David, with Judah, and, and, and the place of worship, the temple was in Jerusalem, and, that, and they had the place of worship. They had the temple. Uh, and, and they weren't idolaters like Israel. And so I, I wonder if this is what... Um, filled them with, with pride because it was, it was a kind of a spiritual snobbery that they had. And so the Lord preserve us from pride. We could look and say, well, we have the truth. We have the pure gospel. Um, we have the promise of the Lord's presence. And, and, and maybe we could be filled with pride rather than just gratitude that God has, in his grace, preserved the truth, and we have that deposit of truth. So let us always give uh, the honor to God and not be proud of the truth that's been deposited to us. So Jotham, very quickly, I'm running out of time here. Uh, age 25, when he begins to reign, reigns for 16 years. Uh, he does right. He doesn't uh, do like Uzziah and, and go and try to go into the temple. He does right. And, yet before, and it says he ordered his way before the Lord. He has military victories. He builds cities. Uh, kind of a similar reign to Uzziah in, in, the, in that sense of, of being very successful. But he does leave the high places, and then he, his death is he just he sleeps with his father. Now, one thing that we read when in, in Second Chronicles, though, about the time of his reign, it says, but the people still followed corrupt practices. So Jotham himself followed the way of the Lord. He was obedient. He worshipped the Lord. He followed the law. But he did nothing, again, like his father, he did nothing to confront the, the evil in the people. He's not like Hezekiah. He's not like Josiah that we'll learn about next week who, who saw the, the condition of the people and instituted reforms and, and brought the people back. Uh, it seemed like 
um, Jotham was careful to order his way before the Lord and, and live right. He didn't engage in idolatry, but it seems like it was easier not to confront the people. He lacked the moral and spiritual fortitude to confront the people about their condition. So it's a question for us. Do we have the spiritual fortitude to resist departure uh, from, from scriptural order? Do we have courage to teach the word of God even when it's unpopular? And uh, maybe, maybe we don't personally go along with something, but we don't stand up for what's true and confront it. So I think I learned that lesson from Jotham. He ordered his way before the Lord, but he did nothing to confront the people of, for their corrupt practices. And so for their corrupt practices, the Lord sends Syria against Israel, and, and we're starting to see God's judgment come in on the nation. Now, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to, for the sake of time, skip Ahaz. Uh, he's not a very delightful king to talk about anyway. He was one of the worst uh, kings of Judah. He went full bore into idolatry and, and offered his sons in the fire and followed completely the practices of, of Israel. And there was nothing, no redeeming characteristic of, of Ahaz. So we'll skip now to the, the kings of Israel. Every single one of the kings of Israel has this statement said about them. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. Now, what were the sins of Jeroboam? It was calf worship. Um, and when he introduced it, it was for political reasons. Um, he didn't want the, the northern tribes, if they went and worshipped back in Jerusalem, it's likely they would revert back under Jer Jeroboam because they'd want to be associated with, with Judah. And so he establishes calf worship and he establishes one way up in the north and one down in Bethel. And for him, he, he said, these are your gods, O Israel. In other words, for him, it was, it was a graven image. It was to represent God. It wasn't, he didn't go and take from the nations around necessarily, not like Baal where it was a different god, uh, an idol. He took and he said, these are just representations of the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. But for the people, it wasn't just a graven image. It was idolatry, and they worshipped uh, <clears throat> the, the golden calf. And, and every, single, uh, every single king after Jeroboam followed the same practice. And again, we have that, that lesson to us that what is introduced is very difficult to eradicate once it's introduced. None of those kings uh, got rid of calf, of, of calf worship. Um, okay. <clears throat> now, the first king is Jehoahaz. Uh, duration of his reign, 17 years. His assessment is he does evil, and he, as the statement is below, he follows the, the practices of the sins of Jeroboam. During his time, the, what the conflict was, was, uh, was with Syrians. They decimate his army. But we read this. He sought the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Assyria oppressed them. 
And then the Lord gave Israel a savior so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians. Uh, beautiful. We don't know who that savior is. Uh, it doesn't name him, but it gave him a savior, just like God has given us a savior. Uh, Joash is the second one, reigns 16 years. He does evil. He has conflict with Syria. Joash is, is, Jehoash is visited by Elisha on his deathbed. Doug talked about this last week. And he's promised to have victory three times over his enemy. Um, and we read, But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And he turned towards them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, nor uh, has he cast them out from his presence until now. And then we have Jeroboam. 41 years he reigns. He does evil. There's no mention of conflict. Uh, he restores some borders that were prophesied by Jonah, uh, the, the Jonah that got swallowed by the, the whale. Uh, some borders are restored. So you see that God is, is, is helping and giving help. And we see here something that in these three kings that God is actually intervening. God is is being gracious. He hasn't completely abandoned Israel. They're still his people. He still is concerned for them. And, and when they're oppressed, he, he pities them. And, uh, and, and he's still trying to win them back by sending them prophets. There's many prophets, Elijah, Elisha, and the, and, and the written prophets, Amos and Hosea and, and, and Isaiah to some extent. And they're all trying to, to, to woo them back and, and God even gives victory to, to them sometimes to prove himself to them. So God isn't, didn't, wipe, didn't wash his hands of Israel. And there's a lesson, I think, there too, for us as well, is not to write people off too quickly. God is very, a, a very gracious God. And when people are we're backslidden and, and wayward, God is still working and trying to win us back. Now, <clears throat> i got to get to the end here. Basically, if we go down the line... We have nine kings all together. By the time you get to uh, Mahanam, Menahem, whatever, we start see now that, that Assyria is starting to become a threat. And, and, he, and Assyria comes down and he attacks them. Uh, and at this time, uh, and the, and he has to pay tribute to them. He doesn't take any captives, but he has to pay tribute to them. Now then we go to get down to Pika, the second from the last, and this is the first of the deportations. And, and now... Uh, some of the, he, the king of Assyria comes down and he takes some of the, the people of Israel and he takes them back to Assyria. And then we have Hoshea's reign and uh, during, he's the last king of Israel before the de deportation and at this time uh, he's forced to pay tribute to Assyria. He tries to go off to Egypt and get help there and stops paying a tribute there and then the king of Assyria comes down and, and, and takes the whole nation captive and brings them up to uh, Assyria. And so <clears throat> I'm just going to take it just a couple more minutes to wrap this up. Why, why the captivity of Assyria? The, the whole the nation's been going downhill, and it ends in captivity. And in chapter 17, I just want you to turn to it. Again, I promise I will be done in five minutes. <clears throat> um, I'm going to read a few... Piece, uh, sections, verses from uh, 2 Kings 17. Most of 17 is giving an explanation as to why God 
eventually sent his people into captivity in Assyria. So starting at verse 7, And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs of the people of Israel and their uh, had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set for, for themselves pillars and ashram and every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings all the high places and all the na- as all the nations around them did. So, Again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to continue to read. But um, <clears throat> notice, if you if you read that whole section, there is there's no mention of things like injustice and oppression and pride and greed and sexual sins and and murder and cruelty. What all these sins are are violations of the first and second commandments of the Ten Commandments, right? No other gods before me, no graven image. You shouldn't bow down to other gods. This is what they're indicted for. Their sins against God, their corrupt worship that they had engaged in. Now, it's not that they weren't guilty of these other social sins, but that is not what the, the writer in Second Kings is indicting them for. It's because of their idolatry. It's because of their sin against uh, God. <clears throat> and why is it that only the sins against the violations of the first and second commandments are mentioned? It's because those sins against God are the most uh, egregious sins. Those that do not give God his rightful place. Sins that, that, that try to redefine, when people reach, try to redefine who God is. Those are the greatest affronts to God. <clears throat> Uh, if we th- have wrong thoughts about God, uh, behavior will follow. We get God wrong, and we think wrongly about him, it's going to affect our behavior. Think of Romans 1. God, we, in Romans 1, we, we, we read that they, people did not retain God in their knowledge, and they, and they rejected God, and then when they reject God, then all the perverted behavior follows. <clears throat> so you might ask, why is our, why is our Western culture falling off the cliff morally. There's no fear of God. <clears throat> they have exchanged the fear of God for a me focus. Uh, they've exchanged the fear of God for, for personal autonomy. I define my own identity. I do what I want with my body. I do what I want with my life. Uh, and, and what follows then is the breakdown of, of the social fabric, the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of civility, polarization that we see today, homelessness, Hatred, racism, all these things on the rise because uh, a nation that has, has forgotten God. Now, are we believers immune from this? I'm putting up verses, again, going very quickly, maybe too quickly, uh, to speak of idolatry among believers. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, all spoken to Christians, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Idolatry is whatever there is in my life that displaces God. It's whatever takes priority 
over God. It's having wrong thoughts about God. When I, when I shape in my mind what I want God to be, rather than what Scripture defines him to be. When I take my concept of God from, from culture around and allow that to inform my thinking about who God is, rather than what Scripture is. That, that's uh, idolatry that we can be guilty of today. So, this is my last slide, and I'll be done in one minute. Spiritual lessons. So, <clears throat> I think we learned some, some valuable lessons here in the, in the, uh, in the Kings. The, the need to develop our own convictions, the need for humility, uh, and staying within our God-given role. Dangers of failure after, after starting well. Many of these Kings, they, they started well, but then they failed midlife. The importance of the God places on correct corporate worship and, uh, and the, uh, the dangers of allowing unscriptural practices to, to take root. Now, <clears throat> again, it's a, it's, it's a pressing read to read all these, the failure of the kings, but we see also the grace of God. How he's very slow to give up on his people. And, that, and God is very slow to give up on us when, when we fail. Thank, thank the Lord for that. And then finally, when we look at <clears throat> all these failures, it really just cries out for the messianic king, a king who will not fail, a king who will reign in righteousness, who loves righteousness and hates iniquity, and, and uh, who is the son of David and also the son of God and will not grow weak or to be discouraged before he establishes justice on the earth. So I trust that uh, God will bless this word and hopefully this has been... Have profitable.